0: sphinx's um mini sermon there thank you sphinx you'll find the page numbers to this great book in your bulletin if you you need them we're gonna be looking this morning at verses three through nine but i want to read a little bit more to give us some context before we do let's let's go and ask the lord for his help father we thank you that you have uh, caused us to be born again by your mercy and that you have nourished our faith by your power. Lord, that by your grace you have given us your word, the very words of life, for in them we find Jesus. Help us this morning, Lord, by your Spirit, to draw close to you, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, an anointing to the preacher and hearer alike. We need you. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. 1 Peter, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ Jesus, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The things that have now been announced to you... uh, ...through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit... ...sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Well, praise the Lord uh, for His mercy by which we are saved. And praise the Lord for His power by which we stay saved. Uh, To a group of suffering believers, the words mercy and power would have been words they were all too familiar with. So we think about the context to the people to which uh, Peter was writing. They were in Asia Minor, uh, what we call now Turkey, and they were facing persecution from the Roman authorities and the Jewish elite. They were well aware of their power... And that no one had had mercy on them, while empire-wide persecution wouldn't hit the Roman Empire until the 90s, about uh, 30 years after this book was written. The recipients of Paul, of, excuse me, Peter's letter here were facing many grievous trials and tribulations. When we think about power and mercy, it is only those with power. That can show mercy. Without power, we might have pity, compassion, or even empathy. But unless you have the power to do something, you really can't show mercy. That was borne out in the definition Sphinx just read. Take, for instance, if you had been convicted of a petty crime, like you'd, perhaps you had stolen a Milky Way from Pick and Save. Now, there are only two parties that can have mercy on you. I might pity you. You might have been really hungry. Your sugar might have been low. But there's nothing I could do for you. There are only two parties that can have mercy on you. Pick and save. And then the judge. As they're the only ones with any power to stop what is coming to you justly. When we think about the Lord... This morning we see these two wonderful characteristics in play to the benefit of God's people. His mercy and His power. Think about God's mercy. We are the recipients of God's mercy because He is the only one who is powerful enough, who has any authority or any power to have mercy on us. For it is against He and He alone that we have sinned. Even the petty theft of stealing a Milky Way from pick and save is ultimately a sin against the Lord. And He alone is the one who has the power to show mercy to us. what we see in this text is that God shows us His mercy and by His mercy we are born again. And by His power we stay saved. So praise the Lord for His mercy by which we are saved and praise the Lord for His power by which we stay saved. We see that the Lord has caused us to be born again. Look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you remember in John 3 when Jesus tells Nicodemus who has come to Him in the middle of the night, and He says, you must be born again. You know, born again Christians, this is a phrase we throw around a lot, but you know, the command, the the prerequisite, the condition of being born again, this isn't necessarily good news. For there's nothing in and of ourselves that can cause us to be born again. As many commentators have pointed out, we can take no credit for our natural birth. I can't say, aha, look how great I did. Just ask my mother. I had nothing to do with it. Indeed, sometimes children make it harder to be born. And so it is when we think about our own spiritual birth. There's nothing that we can credit to ourselves. Indeed, for faith and repentance to come, the Lord must first work in our heart in what's called regeneration, or put here, born again, in order for the judge to look lovely in order for our Savior to be appealing to us. And so by His mercy, we who did not deserve it, by His mercy, we have been caused to be born again with all the action here placed on our Savior and our God. There's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is giving us that which we don't deserve. That certainly is in play in salvation. Indeed, most of the time we speak of we are saved by God's grace, and that is true. But here, Peter is focusing on the other side of it. That in order for God to give us something that we don't deserve, that is salvation, He must also withhold from us, by His mercy, that which we do deserve. And He has done this by the sprinkling of Christ's blood upon us, as we read As we read last week in verse 2. That He would withhold His mercy upon His Son so that He might have mercy on all those who call upon Him. What did He withhold from us? What did He not give us? It was His wrath. It was His fury. It was His righteous anger. It was His displeasure. It was what the legal requirements of the law demanded for those like you and me who have sinned and do continue to sin in thought, word, and deed. All of these things the Father has poured out upon His Son Jesus that we who call out to Him for mercy and salvation may receive it. By His mercy He has caused us to be born Again. Indeed, there is a lot of great reason here to praise the Lord, isn't there? When we think about who the objects are of God's mercy. But He has made us, He has caused us to be born again to something. We use this wording a lot, this phrasing a lot. If we think about it, so and so was born to a good family, so and so was born to a bad family, to good parents, to bad parents. The Lord has calls us to be born again to something. And here we see two things. The first is a living hope. I, I, love, this, um, I love this phrase, by the way. A living hope. I was trying to think this week what the, ob- the, the opposite of this would be. Maybe a, a dead despair. A despair that would never live or never, um, never end. Perhaps that might be one of the definitions we could use of hell. But the Lord has given us, has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a hope that is vibrant, thriving, and alive, based upon the resurrection of our Savior. And just as He was raised from the dead and given new life, so too we are caused and called to be made new and to a living hope that can never be extinguished. It is like a candle that, that, that goes on forever and ever. Nothing can extinguish it. Nothing can cause it to go away. We have been given a new and living hope. Is our life characterized by this living hope? Is your life characterized by a living hope? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Certainly there are times of mourning, times of of sadness. We're told this in Scripture, and Ecclesiastes makes this especially clear. But is our life defined by this living hope that we have? We have been born to it. It is our right. It is is ours. It is our gift. We have been born to a living hope. We have been born to an inheritance. These things are really the same thing. It means... ...to uh, salvation. That we've been born to a salvation... uh, ...and as Ephesians 1, uh, 18 tells us... ...to riches of His glorious inheritance. Indeed, we've been given something else here... ...verse 4, to an inheritance... ...that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading... kept in heaven for you. Have you ever looked forward to your inheritance... Hopefully not too much, because it means someone's got to die. But it's interesting, as we think about our inheritance, someone has already died. Our Savior has died, and He has gone through death so that we might not die, not really. Our bodies will die and will be buried in the grave until Christ comes again. But we will not experience a second death. We will not experience hell. We, upon our death, we will wake up in heaven and experience the true living hope like we've never experienced it before. This inheritance that we have is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is imperishable. This word is used elsewhere to speak of the immortality of Christ. Unlike a ripe piece of fruit, which might be delicious for days, but soon rots and perishes, our salvation does not perish. It does not end. It does not spoil. It is undefiled, something that is pure and unsullied. It is untouched and untouchable by anything that would render it unclean. It is unfading. As glorious as these ferns are, as as pretty as the tulips that I bought for Christie for Valentine's, these things will fade, but not our salvation. Do we really value our inheritance, our salvation like this? Many of you know that I've always wanted a truck. And, uh, and the Lord gave me what I wanted, but in a way that kept me very humble. As a year ago, my uncle gave me my inheritance before he died. He's still living, by the way. The caveat was that I would do his funeral uh, when it comes. Now, he gave me my inheritance, a 1991 Ford Ranger. Many of you saw this truck. It was 2 tones silver and rust. Uh, You know, when I think about my inheritance from my uncle, it is not defined by these three words. It was indeed perishable. As the rusty holes in the roof got bigger and bigger, it perished. It certainly was defiled as the mold and mildew grew exponentially inside. And it certainly faded in my own eyes as I began to see more rust than silver. But not our true inheritance. Not our inheritance that is kept and guarded for us by the Lord. There are different ways to value an inheritance. Appraised value is often different than real value. You know, if you've been through estate processes, you know how that works. But you think about what someone paid for it. It's a pretty good appraisal of what it's worth. As we think about our inheritance, it was paid for by a price that is unfathomable, unreconcilable, inestimable, by the blood of our Savior. Well, we are, we are by God's mercy, we are causally born again. Praise the Lord for Him. But not only that, by His power we are kept saved. The good news is that that once we call upon the name of Jesus, once He has called us to be born again, there's nothing that can tear us or rip us away from His love. God will not bestow upon us His grace and mercy, and then in ten ten years or so, tomorrow or the next day, He's not going to remove it from us. This is called perseverance. This is the basis of our assurance of faith. There is a staying savedness if we can call it that that we are guaranteed. We see this in verse 5 that by his power who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you catch that that God's power is guarding us the who there's referring to us we are being guarded by God's power. That this word guarded here means to garrison like a city that is under siege, you sent a garrison, a, a, a group of cracked soldiers to protect the city, and this is what the Lord does for our salvation and for our souls. Nothing can assail the walls of our salvation because it is guarded by none other than one who destroyed 185,000 of Sennacherib's soldiers outside the city of Jerusalem as they surrounded it by one angel in one night. It is the one who has parted the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. It is the God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them merely by speaking it out loud. This is the one by whose power guards us. And he's guarding us for salvation to come. Our salvation is past, present, and future. It is past and that he has saved us. We can say in a lot of ways He he chose us before the foundation of the world. He saved us at the cross. He saved us upon our conversion when we were born again. And He he is saving us now And that he, He is with us now. And He is with us presently by His grace and strength, never leaving us nor forsaking us. And one day our salvation will be complete when Christ comes again. There is a future sense of salvation. And He is guarding us for that time the end may not be in view for us, but it is for him. He knows the beginning from the end, and he is guarding us until that day. And until then, there is nothing that can change this, nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, even as we read in Romans 8:38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor thing present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise the Lord that by His mercy He calls us to be born again, and by His power we stay saved. He continues to work in us. And how does He do that? The text is very clear. Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, And here's the mystery. Here's the tension. That we are called to persevere. We are called to continue exercising faith in Christ until we die or He comes again. And that is very much our responsibility. And on the other hand, God is the one, by His power, that is working in us to strengthen the same faith. And faith itself, as we read in Ephesians 2, faith is a gift. Not only in the first faith of of calling upon His name, but the ongoing faith by which we call upon Him. How often do we need our faith strengthened? And we pray, Lord, strengthen our faith. This is a prayer that He answers sometimes in ways that we might rather Him not. For how does he do that? He does it by trials and tribulations. Verses 6 through 7 tells us that how God strengthens our faith by his power. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God in His power brings trials and sufferings into our life that our faith might be strengthened. How often are we tempted to think that God is weak Have you ever struggled with that thought? That something has come into your life that surely if God knew or if God were strong enough, He would never have let this happen in my life. But the opposite is true. For it is by God's power that He protects you from things that really would undo you. Can you imagine going through life without the power of God protecting you? Oh, brethren... How awful that would be. But God, by His power, strengthens our faith by bringing trials and tribulations into our lives... ...that we might be made more like Him. He's going to compare and contrast this process with gold here. On the one hand, it's very much like gold, what God does in our hearts. God does in our lives. If you've ever worked with molten metals, we've talked about this before... That you first heat it till it is, heat metal until it is molten, until it is liquid. And it can't be just molten, it has to be really liquid. It has to be really hot. So it has to be heated through pressure, heated through fire. And then you throw in what's called flux. And it, and it draws out the impurities and it is a violent process. Flames go everywhere. So that the impurities can be skimmed out. And this is what he's doing in our life. He is strengthening our faith and burning away the impurities. Sometimes these trials are things that come and go, but I love what Peter says here, though now for a little while. no, for a little while. Sometimes God's version of a little while is different than ours, right? Surely there's an amen for that one. (laughs) Because sometimes a little while... ...is for all of our lives. That He might strengthen our faith. But there's something much greater... ...than our comfort, leisure, or even health... ...that is in view here. It is that by His power... ...He might guard our salvation... ...by strengthening our faith. Imagine, though... ...how much stronger... um, ...Abraham's faith was... ...after the trial of being called to sacrifice his son. Imagine how much stronger Moses' faith was after he had seen Pharaoh and all his army destroyed in the Red Sea. Imagine how much stronger Joshua's faith was after he had seen the Lord destroy the walls of Jericho, 75 feet high. But you know, God strengthened all of their faith through adversity. Would it have been as strong if God had not called them through those things. Well, praise the Lord that by His mercy He has caused us to be saved, and that by His power He protects us and keeps us saved. But certainly, as we think about trials, as we think about um, hardships, no, nothing compares to what Christ went through on the cross. The test when the soldiers stripped him and beat him. The test when the crown of thorns was placed upon the head of king of kings and lord of lords. Or when he was mocked by his own people. The test when he carried his cross. The test when he was nailed to the wood. The test when the crowds jeered at his naked body. The test and hardship of being forsaken by his father. Because here's the thing that in order for you and me to receive God's mercy, he had to withhold it from his Son, and that Christ would set aside his power for a time in order that he might die, that we might be sprinkled with his blood and might be kept and guarded for salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Father, we thank You that by Your mercy You have saved us and caused us to be born again. And that by Your power You are guarding us and protecting us. That You are strengthening our faith as You put us through trials of various kinds. Therefore, help us, Lord, to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. For we know the end and the purpose of these things, that we might be made more like Jesus. But Lord, we look forward to the day when we are fully conformed to the image of your Son upon our death or upon His return. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.